0: In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, welcome to the First Baptist Church of Oregon City worship podcast. I'm Pastor John Witham. In order to love our neighbors and serve our community and to prevent the spread of this awful virus that is ravaging our cities, our country, and our world, we have suspended our services for now in person, but instead we are inviting our church family To worship with us through these podcasts. We hope that you are doing well. We are praying for you and your well-being, and we pray that as we sing and pray and read scripture and hear the word of God proclaimed, that the Holy Spirit would be moving in your life as well.
1: Expectation, waiting here for you, waiting here for you. You're the Lord of all creation, and still you know my heart. The author of salvation, you loved us from the start. And it's you We adore
2: Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, we bow before you. Again, we are here to worship you and to praise your name. Even though it's not in a church building, we can still worship and praise you. And Lord, I thank you for those seasons that we just came through where we remembered the death, burial, and resurrection of your son. But help us to place that in our hearts and keep that with us every day. Because we know that by dying on the cross, you took our sins away. And we know that by raising from the dead, you've assured us of eternal life if we know you as our personal Savior. And Lord, I pray for this congregation and I pray for the members of the congregation who are not feeling well, who are those who are also into treatments. And I ask that you be with them and that you would give them protection during this difficult time that we are going through. And Lord, there are others in our congregation who have other difficulties. Right now we have a couple of families who are in the grieving process. And I ask that you be with them during this time. And we know that their loved ones were saved, Lord, and they're in your presence, but yet we miss them and we grieve for them. So I ask that you give peace and comfort to the families during this time. And Lord, at this time, because we have to be inside social distancing and some of us need to stay in our homes depression and anxiety are enhanced. And I ask, Lord, that those who know you would seek you and that they would ask for your help because you said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And those who do not know you, I hope that someone reaches out to them and tells them about the love that you have for them. During this time, I ask that we, as members of this congregation, can reach out to our friends, our neighbors, or our other um, people in our congregation. and But by whatever means possible, Lord, that we would reach out and show our love and our concern for them. Because Jesus would do that. And I ask that um, we take a special interest in our neighbors that are around us, and that we reach to them also, and that we tell them that, you know, we're thinking of them. Is there anything we can do for them? Can I pray for you? Lord, I pray for the people who lead this country. I ask that you be with them as they make these difficult decisions. And, Lord, I hope that the politics is taken out of it and that we don't say, well, he's a Democrat, she's a Republican, one's liberal, one's conservative. Lord, we're just people, and let us work together as people and that the leaders of this country will do what's best for the people that live in this country. And, Lord, with that, I lift up these prayers and these petitions to you. And I, and I put them in your hands. And you will lead as you will lead because you are in control of this all. And even though some think that you have nothing to do with it, you have everything to do with it. And you have control of the whole situation. And you will lead as you will lead. In your precious name, amen. Amen. If you
0: want to turn in your scriptures with me to the book of Luke, chapter 24, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 34, and we're going to look at, the, this is the, the tale, the story of the road to Emmaus. and I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. And hear the word of the Lord. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened these last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people! You find it so hard to believe that the prophets wrote all that the prophets wrote in scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. "'Suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, "'and at that moment he disappeared. "'They said to each other, "'Didn't our hearts burn within us "'as he talked with us on the road "'and explained the scriptures to us? "'And within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem. "'There they found the eleven disciples "'and the others who had gathered with them, "'who said, "'The Lord really has risen. "'He appeared to Peter. "'This is the word of the Lord.'" thanks be to god the timeline here is interesting because jesus was crucified and on the third day he rose and we remember from last week how the women had gone to prepare his to continue the process of preparing his body for burial and Jesus was nowhere to be found, and two angels were present, ready to to tell them, Jesus isn't here. And they went back to the disciples, and instead of listening to and believing the women who had preached the good news to them, Peter had to go see for himself, so he went and found the empty tomb and was puzzled. This story picks up exactly where we leave off with Peter. And we meet, um, we meet two people, one named Cleopas, and the other who in this passage is unnamed. However, in John 19, there we meet Mary, the wife of Clopas, and there is sufficient evidence to believe that Cleopas and Clopas are the same person, and that Mary, this Mary, the wife of Clopas, is Cleopas's companion in the book of Luke. They are traveling to the, the town of Emmaus outside of Jerusalem, and it's about a seven-mile walk, and even at a leisurely pace, you're looking at somewhere somewhere in the ballpark of, of a little over two hours, thereabouts. If you're walking briskly uh, and are tall and have long legs, then you can probably make it quicker. Um, but if you are shorter, then, well, you probably are going slower. Being 6'2", I usually walk at a brisker pace. But they have sent out to Emmaus, and we don't know why. But along the way, they meet Jesus. It's at this point I want to pause and take a a consideration to one of my favorite book series, uh, one that I have mentioned frequently, and that's the Chronicles of Narnia. And in the Narnia books, there are seven of them, and of those seven, five of them are concerned with the... uh, the Pevensey children or people, children who will come after them. And in every book they enter Narnia, they enter differently. They never enter Narnia the same way twice. Narnia being a a kind of allegory for the spiritual realm or the kingdom of God or, or the place a place where that is much like our earth, um, but just things are a little bit different. And I think as followers of Jesus, it's important for us to look at how we entered faith with Jesus because that many times tells us where our expectations of Jesus lie. If we came to faith in Jesus because we grew up in church, because we grew up in Christian families and Christian homes, at least in my personal experience, a lot of times Jesus and our concept of Jesus and God can tend to skew and look a little bit like our parents. And fortunately for me, I had a mother and father who loved me and we lived with my mother's parents and I had a grandmother and a grandfather who loved me very much. And I never had to doubt their love for me. And so I was always able to understand God's love for me. But I know not everybody is privileged as I am uh, to, to be born into a family that, where they know that they are loved all the time and where they know the love of God so freely and richly. And to some people, God looks a lot different. And by extension, Jesus looks a lot different. And some people don't come to know Jesus from the very beginning of their lives. Some people come to Jesus later in their lives in the midst of conflict or turmoil or when they're at the end of their rope, when they have been defeated by the demons of addiction, the struggles of depression and anxiety, And in that end of the line, they call out for Jesus. And Jesus is going to look different to them as well. But what it's important to to look at as we go forward from our beginnings in faith, the farther we get away from it, we can tend to forget sometimes That our faith needs renewing. Our faith needs refreshing. Our faith needs the resurrection. Through the resurrection, the kingdom of God is inaugurated. The kingdom of God is in full swing now. God has been made king. The coronation ceremony happened on the cross And the celebration happens through the resurrection. And Jesus has now been handed all power and authority in heaven and on earth. And with this power and authority, Jesus is making all things new. And that includes creation, that includes people, and that includes our faith. Because in the resurrection, our faith is made new along with everything else. It's interesting to look and see Cleopas and Mary in this story. Because Jesus shows up, he's hidden, and he's clearly been resurrected. And he's he's hidden from being recognized by them. And and he asks what's happened, and the first response they have is sadness. For people who know about the resurrection, they know about the empty tomb, they know that the women came and preached it, and that the hard-headed disciples had to go see for themselves. And so they know about all this. There should be an excitement to them sadness should not be the first word that comes up but it is and then they tell the person they don't know at the time is, is Jesus why they think they're, why they are sad is because they had all these expectations for Jesus they had all these thoughts about who Jesus was going to be they thought that he was going to be the messiah in this particular pattern and they thought that he was going to check these particular boxes for what their definition of a Messiah was. And I would put forward this morning that we do the same thing. We have a definition of Jesus. We have an idea of Jesus that we've started out with. And if we haven't taken the time to allow Jesus, to renew our faith in Jesus, we're going to be disappointed at some point as well. We're going to be stuck holding on to a Jesus that we don't recognize anymore. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing to have a solid start and a solid foundation. But we have to remember that we are not stuck with what we start with. That when you have the foundation of a house, you don't lay the foundation and say, right then, I'm just going to live on this foundation for the next 20 or 30 years of my life. You probably would like to have walls. You definitely would like to have a roof if you live in the Pacific Northwest. And no matter where you live, you would probably like to have a toilet. And in these times, you'd also like to find some toilet paper. So we, we have a foundation, but we have to build on it. And Cleopas and Mary, they knew the resurrection. But it, it didn't tick their boxes of what the Messiah was supposed to do. And so they had a difficult time being joyful about this, being happy about this, rejoicing in the risen Savior. And I think when we as followers of Jesus have an image of Jesus that stops matching up with what we see Jesus doing in the world and doing in our lives, and in our churches, and in our neighborhoods, we struggle with it. And we get angry, and we get frustrated. And at that point, you can either double down on your old beliefs, and insist on clinging to this sort of sad nostalgia of, this is the way that I remember Jesus being, You can walk away from your faith entirely and say, I don't recognize this anymore. But there's another option. And that's to allow our faith to be renewed by Jesus. As they're telling this person this, these things... And by the way, they're taking a great risk to do so because they have no guarantees that this isn't a spy or a, somebody from the Romans or somebody from the Jewish religious leaders. They're taking a great risk in telling this hidden Jesus all of these things. And Jesus stops them and says, what are you talking about? You know, why would you be surprised by any of this? And walks them through the scriptures. He walks them through what we now know as the Old Testament. He would have walked them through the Torah, through the prophets—you know, books that we know as Joshua, First uh, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. He would have r- walked them through the. The minor prophets, the major prophets, the writings—he would have would have shown them, as as we see here, all of the places that point to what he did on the cross, that he bore the brunt of the evil of humanity and the sins and the disobedience and the unfaithfulness of humanity. For all of humanity. And won victory over it on the cross. And he puts this in a context so that they can understand it. So that they can see where they are now in faith. And we have to do the same thing. When we encounter Jesus in the scriptures and consider what our lives mean in light of that, we properly understand who we are. Normally, we look at the scriptures in the, from the standpoint of, okay, here's a Bible passage, how do I apply this to my life? And I'm not saying don't do that, because there's lots of places in scripture where we need to say, right, here's what I need to be doing as a follower of Jesus, I need to go do that. But there's also times in scriptures when we need to find where we are in scripture. We need to find if our faith matches up to who Jesus is. If we're still clinging on to an old idea of who Jesus is, we're not going to shake that by doubling down. And we're going to miss out on the redemptive work of Christ all around us and within our own lives if we're doubling down. And we're definitely going to miss out on it if we walk away. There's a term that's popular right now called deconstruction where it, it, it's a process of, of questioning things that you've believed for a long time. And lots of people who are more intelligent than I am have written loads about deconstruction, but what I'll say about it is this, is is if we have an image of Jesus in our lives that's lacking, that doesn't match up to who Jesus really is, we need to deconstruct that. But we need to reconstruct it from the Jesus that we meet in the Gospels. From the Jesus that we meet, who loves the people who have been cast out by society. We need to meet the Jesus who heals and, uh, and is present with people who are sick and hurting and dying and lost. We need to, to meet the Jesus who goes over when lepers call out to him. We need to meet the Jesus who spends a significant amount of time Scripture eating. That's a Jesus that I like. But when we find ourselves in Scripture, we're able to see, oh, here I am. Here's what Jesus is doing. Here's what I can recognize is happening in my world and in my community, and and we can discern that. Mary and Cleopas are talking about this with Jesus, and they're traveling on, and they invite Jesus into the place that they're staying. And as they sit down to dinner, it's interesting that Jesus takes either takes or is given. We, we don't know. It's not in the text. But one way or another, he has assumed the role of the host because in Jewish dining traditions, the host broke the bread. And there's four big words that we see in this passage that are significant. That Jesus took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. It is all four actions of the table, of the Lord's table. We gather at the table to meet Jesus because after he does this, once they see him take the bread and break it and bless it and break it and give it, they recognize him. The light comes on. They know who Jesus is. Because they've seen him do this before. And it's at that point that their eyes are open. Jesus disappears because in his resurrected body, he now can exist in both heaven and earth and clearly can go back and forth between both realms. And he's gone But they're left there saying, didn't our hearts burn within us as he explained this to us? And they recognized Jesus at the table. When we cling to old ideas of Jesus, sometimes we isolate ourselves from moments like this. We don't want to be around other people, or if we do, we want the people that we're around to be exactly like us, to have the same conception of Jesus that we do. But it's at the table. It's at the table set for us by Jesus. Call it communion, call it the Lord's Supper, call it the Lord's Table. If it's the table of the bread and the juice or the wine the body and blood of Christ, it's the table set for us by Jesus. And when we come to the table with Jesus and with people who are following Jesus, we know the presence of Jesus. We can see what Jesus is doing in our midst. And if there's things that Jesus is doing that we haven't recognized yet, we can see them. If there's there's an idea of Jesus that we're holding on to unnecessarily, that we need to let go of, we'll see that around the table. Because even though they had talked with Jesus all the way through, they didn't recognize him until the table. It was at that point that their eyes were opened. So how do we do this? how do we give up an old, unhelpful view of Jesus? Because, the, as I said earlier, the, the, the saving moment, the, the moment when we came to believe in Jesus that set us off on a lifetime of belief is not a bad thing until we make an idol out of it, until we put it on a pedestal and refuse to move forward from it. So how do we do this? First of all, we do it prayerfully. We do it in prayer, asking Jesus to show us who he really is. But at the same time, I think we have to engage in Scripture. And reading Scripture is a a funny thing because... Do we have a tendency to read into it what we want to sometimes? Yeah, we do. But if we are praying that Jesus will be present with us in Scripture, and then we start with something like the Gospels, we meet Jesus bang on immediately, and we start to see who he is. Especially if we start with a Gospel like Mark. Mark gets straight into the Jesus story very quickly. Or if we start with something like John, where we see a big overview of of who Jesus is and what God is going to do, it's almost like a a symphony where you have an overture that sets out the theme for the the whole evening that you'll hear played over and over again. In the beginning beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the theme that you hear over and over and over again in the book of John. We pray and we read Scripture, and we do this hand in hand, but the thing that's indispensable is we can't lose the table. We can't lose the church. If we are isolated as followers of Jesus from meeting with and and convening with and communicating with other followers of Jesus on a regular basis, then we start to get our own ideas and cling on to more of those own ideas. And we don't get to see what Jesus is doing in the larger community. When we gather at the table of the Lord, it's when we tell the family story. It's when we see what's going on in the family, in the community of God's people. And it's when we see, oh, this is what Jesus is doing in his life, in her life, in this life, in that life, in this household. And when we start to see that, we can see more clearly who Jesus really is. Because when we look at Jesus, we see God. And a lot of people who have difficulty believing in God do so, I think, because they've never seen Jesus. Or if they've seen Jesus, it's been through the imperfections of his followers. But at the table, we bring those imperfections. We confess those imperfections. and We bring them to Jesus, who loves us and died for us because he loves us. I want to go back to that phrase. Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? When we trust that Jesus is going to guide us along the road of life, we have to take Jesus with us. We can't keep returning to the past. We have to continue going forward. Because what happens when they realize exactly what has just happened is they realize that something bigger is going on and they book it back to Jerusalem and they find out that Jesus has been doing other things in the lives of other people as well. As we learn to see Jesus, we will see Jesus working in so many places, and God will be so much bigger and more glorious than we ever imagined. And we will know his love and grace and mercy and greatness better than ever before. We come now to the table of the Lord. It's appropriate that we were talking about that this morning because this is a regular communion Sunday for our church. It's unusual to talk about the church and talk about the Lord's table in these times because we are, for the sake of the world, living in our own homes, quarantining, existing in our own spaces. We're thankful for the technology that has allowed us to connect with each other. And through that technology, on the first and third Sundays of the month, uh, as many as can gather via Zoom um, have been invited on these Sundays, uh, to celebrate the Lord's table together, again, via Zoom. And it's not perfect, and that's okay, because Jesus is. And right now, we, we are doing our best to stay connected to each other, to encourage each other, to keep each other lifted up. In 1 Corinthians 13 it says that someday right now we see through a mirror darkly but someday we will know Jesus face to face and there's a day when when the kingdom of God will be brought in its fullness that Jesus will return to set foot on this earth once again and to call an end to this present age of darkness the one that's beset by pandemics and natural disasters and things like that and to usher in an age where God is king, present over his people and where heaven and earth are one. But until then, we do our best to be faithful and know that this is not going to last forever, that we will We pray be able to meet together responsibly soon. But in the meantime, we trust God and we do our best to be his people in these challenging yet opportune times. And so as we come to the Lord's table, you might have bread and grape juice as staples in your house. You might not. You might have crackers and soda. You might have orange juice and Cheez-Its. You might have milk and cookies. At this point, you may have jelly beans and a glass of water. I don't know. but. The important thing is that we recognize that at the Lord's table we come forgiving and seeking forgiveness. We come looking to discern where God is is present through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit in our church, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and in our world and we faithfully remember through whatever means we happen to have the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. I now invite you to take the bread, to consider that this is the body of our Lord, that Christ is present wherever you are, And in that recognition, take and eat the bread. And now I invite you to take the cup. Recognizing that this is a new covenant between God and humanity. That God himself has paid the price for our disobedience, for the human situation and the brokenness of our world, and that through believing in faith and through dying to our old selves, that we become part of this covenant and that we drink this cup as a recognition of that covenant. And I invite you now to drink the cup of the blood of the new covenant. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Amen. We thank you for joining us this morning for this podcast worship service. We pray that as as you have listened and sung along and read scripture and heard God's word proclaimed, that you have experienced a a warm burning within your heart just as Cleopas and Mary did. We pray that you have experienced the presence of the Lord at his table. If you have a need, whether physical or spiritual, uh, you're welcome to contact the church office uh, our number is on the website, onebaptistchurch.org. The office is closed, but during office hours, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 8.30 to noon, we do answer the phones, and you can leave, or you can leave a voice message, and somebody will call you back. We would like to thank our director of music, Melissa Mellinger, for leading us in song this morning. We'd like to thank our church moderator, Jim Leatherman, for leading us in prayer. We'd like to thank our sound engineer, Gary Hunley, and his assistant, Doreen Hunley. And we'd like to thank Katie Witham for moral support and coffee provisions. And remember, love God, love your neighbor, and wash your hands. Amen.